been very encouraged again, like I said, by how how God might be pleased to be working through us as so many of us gather together. Sunday school attendance has been great over the last couple weeks and um, youth groups and, you know, just everything. Our life groups, so many people meeting in homes. I I don't know what God might be up to, but we want to certainly be obedient and attentive to His work and to be excited about it. going to talk this morning, going to go through, we've been walking through Mark chapter by chapter, verse by verse, takes us to Mark 5 this morning. But uh, as an introduction, I have a question for you. How do you feel about being interrupted? How do you feel about being interrupted? I, I'm not a fan, but uh, you know, you've probably had a number of experiences in your life in which you have been interrupted. You've had that experience probably where you're having a conversation with somebody Something that you feel is actually relatively important, only to have them partway through your talking to them kind of give you the, 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 the one finger thing as they feel a vibration in their pocket and take out their phone and say, oh, hold on a second, got to take this, and, and kind of walk away. We don't like interruptions like that. Parents, you've had the interruption of having this mission uh, before you. It is time for us to go to sleep. We are exhausted from the day as parents and you're sleeping, and it is joyous, and your sleep is interrupted by a little one who has some mission and believes that their need is more urgent than your need for sleep, and they wake you up, and we get upset, and then we try and get back to sleep. I've had the experience many times in my office, uh, having the, the joy of studying God's Word to put together a sermon or something like that, and then the phone rings. And, and, and if it's somebody in my church family, I love that, that opportunity to serve them. I hit control S, save my work so I don't lose it on my computer, and then uh, answer the phone thinking, okay, I'm going to serve somebody. But then it's some dude calling from Tennessee wanting to revolutionize our church by selling me this new curriculum or something like that. Sometimes it's a real guy, and then I get to politely decline uh, and hang up and try to remember where I was. Getting interrupted is not fun for us, especially for guys. Like, it's hard for guys. Like, ladies are able to do a couple of things at once, and so you get interrupted, you can go right back to it. But I don't know if guys, if you're like me, like, you get interrupted, and then you try and go back to what you were doing, we're just lost for a little while. We can't, we don't function that way, like doing a couple different things. And so, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of interruptions. Last week, we went through Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. First point that we looked at last week was that God the Father sent Jesus on a mission. Specifically, Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost. We saw that play out then in the rest of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, as Jesus crossed the sea to save a desperate man who had been conflicted with a number of demons dwelling inside him, messing up his life for a long time. But Jesus crosses the sea to save this desperately lost man and then sends this man out as a missionary to the Gentiles. And then that takes us to the passage that we're going to look at today. Today we're going to encounter another desperate man. This one a very important man with a very urgent need. And he asks Jesus to come and to meet that need, and Jesus agrees to do that. But then it seems 
that Jesus' mission, this very important mission, gets interrupted. That's what we're going to see today as we look at God's Word. So if you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. If you'd like to follow along and it's hard, if you don't have the same version as I do, we'll have the words on the screen as well. And so let's stand together, if you're able, as we read God's Word. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Here's God's Word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and had grown no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You can be seated. Two main points this morning. And again, if you'd like to take notes, uh, you can do that on the back of your bulletin. There's an outline there. Not going to be a lot of... uh, direct application that I'm going to give you in the sermon this morning. The majority of you are involved in a life group, and you're going to hit on a lot of that in those life groups. Now, we've had one week of life groups so far. It's going to be a six-week thing, and some of you uh, maybe didn't get in one right away the first week. If you're interested in being in one of those, would like to join in now on week two. We have some meeting Sunday nights, some meeting Thursday, and one on Friday. So, Lots of options. Um, If you're interested in getting into one yet, come and talk to me yet today, and I'll let you know which one you could join. But but we're going to do a lot of the application of this message in those groups. But here's what we're going to see this morning. At the beginning, we're going to look at, very quickly, verses 21 through 24, where we see this. We see an important man coming to Jesus with an urgent need. Okay, Important man urgent need coming to Jesus. But then we're also going to look at this unclean woman coming to Jesus with a chronic illness. We're going to look at those two things this morning, and there will be some application in this for us. Verse 21 is where we'll start. Look at verse 21. Jesus, it said, had crossed again in the boat to the other side. So you remember, on his way to heal this demon-possessed man last week, On the way there is when there was the great storm at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus had calmed. 
then he comes and he shows his power over evil by casting the demons out of this man on the shore. And then he gets right back in his boat and comes back to the other side. Now to do ministry once again mainly among Jewish people. Verses 22 and 23 tell us of a desperate man. It says he is one of the rulers of the synagogue. And we actually get this man's name. Notice how many times when Jesus is healing somebody, we don't get their name. But here we actually get this man's name. He's a pretty important man. He is a ruler in the synagogue. Okay? That means that he was not necessarily a teacher, not like a, a Pharisee or a leader in that way, but he was someone who did a lot of the administrative work in the synagogue. He's an important man, and he is desperate because his little daughter, he says he came before Jesus, fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly. And the reason he came to Jesus, I mean, imagine this. He's got a little girl whom he calls my little daughter. He's using a term of affection, which you would expect from a father, right? He's got his little girl. His little girl, whom he loves, is dying. And this man is desperate enough that he actually leaves his daughter's bedside knowing enough about Jesus to know that Jesus can come and make her well. And so he leaves his dying daughter behind to go find Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, falls down at his feet and implores him earnestly. He's begging Jesus come with me, and he has great faith. We see that he has a great level of trust in Jesus. He says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He knows what Jesus can do. He's heard enough about Jesus that he knows that this man has the power to do something about his dying daughter. And so he comes and he fetches Jesus. And then verse 24, Jesus responds to the need. It says, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. You remember, if you've been with us so far through this series in Mark, that the crowd in the Gospel of Mark is usually seen not as a good thing, but as a barrier, right? Jesus is on an important mission. We, we've got at least one person in our church that's on the volunteer fire department. One thing you don't want when you're responding to an urgent emergency situation is stuff to hold you back. So everything's set up so that it can happen really quick, right? And a crowd right now is holding Jesus back. You've had a hard time, right, moving about in a crowd. In a crowd, you have to kind of just go with the flow. You don't get to set your own pace. Even, even moms know this. If you've had to, like, go grocery shopping with all of your kids, that just takes about three times as long as it should, right? By the time that you get them all ready to go, get them all strapped in, unstrapped, put them in a cart, trying to find this, like, all that kind of stuff. And so when you actually get to go by yourself to the grocery store, you're wondering why it went so quickly, right? Crowds slow us down. And as Jesus is about to go on this urgent mission, he's being slowed down by the crowd. The crowd, it says in verse 24, look at the, the words that my, my translation uses is the crowd thronged about him. If you have the NIV, it might say the crowd is pressing in on Jesus, right? So you get the picture that it's not just that Jesus is walking along the road on his way to this emergency situation unencumbered. No, he's got people pressing in on him from every side, okay? Claustrophobic people kind of shiver when they hear stuff like this, that, that, that you can't even get out, right? The crowd is just gathered around him. And then we see what looks to be an interruption, 
we get introduced to this woman. We're kind of wondering, well, is Jesus going to make it in time to save this dying girl? But then we're interrupted by the story of this woman. And she is a desperate woman. Look at verses 25 and 26. Last week we met a very desperate man possessed by a legion of demons. Then we've been introduced to a very desperate dad whose daughter is dying. And now we see a very desperate woman. She's at the end of her rope. What's her diagnosis? Look, verse 25. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay, had a discharge, this is a menstrual discharge of blood for 12 years. This is significant physically. And Mark makes a point of that by saying in verse 26, she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and grew no better, but rather grew worse. You get how Mark's trying to get us to understand how desperate this woman was. She had spent all that she had under many physicians. For 12 years, she was miserable. And Mark doesn't even point out some things that probably people that first heard this read to them would have understood. And that is that this woman wasn't just suffering physically. This woman, more than likely because of her condition, would have been unable to become pregnant. And in that day, when your identity as a woman came from being a mother, she would have felt out of place everywhere she went. Not only that, but religiously, spiritually, she would have been cut off. I want you to turn really quickly, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 15. where we see laid out the law regarding people like this woman. You could look at the whole of Leviticus 15, verses 19 through 28, but we're just going to read a couple of those verses. We're going to start in verse 19. So Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19, says this, When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Now skip ahead to a more specific situation that refers to this lady. Verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, and 12 years, by the way, would classify as many days, right? Not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, that's this woman, All the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening." You get the picture a little bit of the suffering of this desperate woman that she's endured for 12 years. Ostracized socially and spiritually. Could not participate in anything with the rest of God's people. This woman is desperate. And then we see in verses 27-29 through a bit of her faith, but also a bit of her fear. And we see her be healed. Look at verses 27-29. through 
verse 27 says, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. Isn't that a great picture of discipleship? Very, very simple. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Heard the reports. She came to Jesus and she touched Jesus. That's very simple faith. And that's how discipleship starts. It starts with us hearing about Jesus, having enough faith to come to Jesus and want to be with Jesus, touching Him in this case. So that's what the woman does. Enough desperation in her life that she is willing. Now imagine this. There's probably no way in the last 12 years that she has been in a crowd. Because anything she touches becomes unclean. And so this woman has probably lived in complete isolation for 12 years. But now, she is so desperate that she is willing to go into a crowd making anyone she touches unclean because she just wants to just touch Jesus. She's got enough faith that she knows that if I just even touch the end of his garment, uh, the traditional Jewish male clothing would have had probably a tassel, and that's probably what she wanted to touch. Just touch this tassel. That's all it takes, she knew. Just going to touch his tassel, and then I'm going to go. That's where you start to see her fear, right? That's all she had in her mind to do. She wanted to be healed. She didn't want to talk to Jesus. She didn't want to make the rabbi unclean, right? So all she needed to do, all she wanted to do, was just touch his garment. Didn't want to be noticed. She lived with such shame and dirtiness for 12 years that she was very fearful about seeing Jesus face to face. She thought, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of his time. I don't deserve any of his attention. I don't want to make him unclean. And so all I want is a healing, and I don't want to come face to face with Jesus. That's where this woman is at. And look what happens. By simply touching his garment, sneaking up behind him in the crowd, look at what happens in verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This is incredible. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't not be in awe of this, right? That all it took was her to touch Jesus' garment. And this woman, who had suffered much for many years under many physicians and was totally broke now because she spent all of her money on health care. And now, by simply touching Jesus' garment, she's made well. She's healed. All throughout the history of God's people, Here's what had happened. When an unclean person came into contact with a clean person, what happened? The clean person became unclean. But right here, now in this story, the unclean comes into contact with the clean person, Jesus, and the unclean person is made clean. This is incredible. This ought to cause us to to worship Jesus. And it would be good enough, would it not, if the story ended there? What a story. Uh, of the small faith of this desperate woman and the great power of Jesus to heal her. End of story. Praise Jesus. This is good. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus does something unimaginable. And remember, the initial mission that Jesus was on, there is an emergency situation. This lady's been suffering for 12 years. There's somebody in the emergency room right now, right? who's on the brink of death. Jesus was on His way. The great physician is on His way to heal this girl. He needs to keep going. Right? 
But look at verses 30 to 32. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? And the disciples, I'm sure they're kind of snickering a little bit. This is kind of funny. The disciples are like, uh, Jesus, you, you see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, who touched me? Really, Jesus, are you asking this? I mean, we've been walking like this ever since we left the shore, and you're wondering who touched you. Lots of people, Jesus. Everybody's touching you. You're being pressed in on by the crowd. That's what the disciples are thinking. And, and, and Jesus' mission seems to be interrupted by somebody touching him in the crowd. Now, uh, I've told you before that I've kind of been a lifelong, I don't know lifelong, but as far back as I can remember, Twins fan. And so a couple months ago, we took our first family trip up to Target Field to watch a Twins game. And you go to a f- setting like that, and you know what a crowd feels like, okay? That, that, and especially on that day, um, in the concourse area, it was very hot, and that was a shady spot that you could go to. So in the concourse area, it was very, very crowded, kind of people-to-people walking like this. Well, we had gotten some tickets, and the special for a Thursday noon game was that along with your tickets, you also received a free hot dog and soft drink with every ticket purchase. So, partway through the game, Isaiah and I got hungry for our hot dog and thirsty for our drink, and so Isaiah and I navigated our way down the steps into the crowded concourse to walk through. I'm holding Isaiah's hand, and we're walking through trying to find the correct vendor that will redeem our voucher for a free hot dog and soft drink. And so we make our way, and we find our way through the crowd, get there, and we get our two hot dogs and a glass of water and a glass of Pepsi. Okay, So that's what we get. And now uh, the, the real challenge is about to begin. I actually, you know, I got one of those, uh, those cardboard things, you know, the carriers. So I got one glass here, one glass here, hot dogs in the middle, stop over at the, the condiment thing and get some uh, ketchup on his, mustard on mine, and we're ready to walk away. This is the first 60 seconds of my mission. My mission now, by the way, is I need to return to our seat with two hot dogs, one Pepsi, one water, and one sun, the sun being the most important thing, Right? And that's my, that's my mission. And so here I go with this cardboard container containing all of these things. And within the first 60 seconds of my mission, the Pepsi begins to fall. I seek to catch the Pepsi with my side, which is a great tool to catch things with, of course, right? And I try and catch it, and the whole thing spills. And so my shirt, my shorts drips down my leg, my sock is soaked with Pepsi, and I get to walk around the rest of the day like hearing Pepsi squish around in my sock with, you know, like my leg hair stuck to my hair and all that, er, stuck to my skin, you know, all that stuff, okay? So that's how the mission begins. But it wasn't too long after that I told Isaiah, like, I can't, I can't hold your hand now, little buddy, and so I want you to just touch my leg while we're walking through this crowd so I know that you're there. So what I was aware of as I was walking through this crowd was the mission before me. Get back to our seat with all this stuff. Now, just that much Pepsi instead of a full glass. But, but get back to our seats with that. Um, and, and so that's my mission. And Isaiah's touching my leg. And you know what? I had no clue. I'm sure I brushed past a lot of people when I was on my mission. 
but I didn't pay attention to all the people that brushed past me, right? Because I was on a mission, and that was important. It was most important for me to have my son sitting next to me in the seat and for us to be eating. And so I didn't really care all that much if somebody brushed by me. And that's what the disciples are thinking. I'm with the disciples. They're thinking, Jesus, there is a girl that's dying, and you can do something about it. Why are you going to stop to ask who touched you? This does not make sense, Jesus. It's a good question, really. Why is Jesus stopping? Jesus ignores their question, by the way. You see that in verse 32. His disciples ask the question. Jesus doesn't even respond. It says, and he looked around to see who had done it. Like, I don't care, guys. So what is it? Why is it that Jesus stops? I mean, he seems to be interrupted. You've got to imagine. You can't help but imagine the potential. If Jesus can pull through for Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Think of the people, the religious people so far. What's their reaction to Jesus been? Not very pleasant. Remember in chapter 3, the Pharisees were, were getting together with another group, the Herodians, trying to determine how they might destroy Jesus. You remember that? Jesus is not getting along well right now with the religious leaders. But now he's got an opportunity to maybe win at least one of them over and maybe turn the tide, right? So Jesus, get on with your mission. Go save this important man's daughter. But no, Jesus stops. Why does he stop? Is he going to scold this woman? Who touched me? Is he going to scold this woman for making contact as an unclean woman with the rabbi himself? Is he going to scold her for that? Is that why he stops? No. You know why Jesus stops? He is going to give this woman much more than she even was after. Jesus is going to give her much more than she even desired. I love how one commentator put it. He said this, She wants a cure, a something, whereas Jesus desires a personal encounter with a someone. Jesus is not content to dispatch a miracle. He wants to encounter a person. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus, in the midst of this situation, with this desperate woman who was already healed, He didn't need to stop. She was already physically healed. And it makes me think about us. How many times do we come to Jesus, not just because we want Jesus Himself, but because we want something from Jesus? Don't we often approach prayer that way? way more focused on what it is that we're asking for than the one whom we're asking. You know what I'm talking about? Right? That, that we come before the great God of the universe and rather than coming before Him just acknowledging the privilege that we can even come into His presence, even just enjoying being in His presence through prayer, we're really focused most of the time on what it is that we want from Him rather than the fact that we want Him Himself. A lot of people, that's how they get, you can get somebody to come to Jesus. You, you scare them about hell and they want a ticket to heaven. They want a reunion with people that they've loved. And so, well, if I've got to say this, I'll say this, as long as that gets me a ticket to heaven. They don't really want Jesus himself. They just want what Jesus can give. I want you to look at the quote on the screen. Sobering quote. Here's what it says. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. 
People who would be happy in heaven, listen to this, people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. Thought-provoking. It's good to think about that. What do we desire? What do we really desire? Do we desire just the gifts that we can get? Just the benefit that we get from Jesus? Or do we desire, do we have a growing desire in us, a hunger for God Himself, that we might know Him and be known by Him? That we might have a relationship, not just receive a gift. Jesus offers much more to this woman than a healing. Though that in itself would be good enough, Jesus comes to offer this woman Himself. And that's why He stops. Look at verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And listen, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We see the woman's faith and courage once again as she comes before Jesus, willingly telling him now the whole truth. Such a gift for us to have this recorded in Scripture. Because we can see here that Jesus desires to have a relationship with us. Some of us kind of put up a front when it comes to Jesus. That we want to, we'll take what we can get from Him, but we're not going to be with Him and be like this woman on our feet, on our knees before Him, telling Him the whole truth. Just being totally honest and upfront with Jesus. Jesus, you want to know how much of a mess I am? I try and convince other people I'm not much of a mess, but Jesus, I am a mess. You want to know how much of a mess I am, Jesus? Here I am. That's how we can approach Jesus, just like this woman did. Because he stops and he wants to know us. He wants to be known by us. So are you being totally truthful with Jesus? You're just trying to get a little bit. Just get, get, get what you can get and then get away because you're wondering if maybe you're living in too much shame and you're too dirty to have the privilege of having His time and His attention. Love the compassion of Jesus that we see here. In verse 34, He refers to this woman as daughter. In this account and in Luke's account of the same story, that's the only time we see in the Gospels Jesus referring to anybody with that close family kind of term. The only time we hear Jesus calling a woman daughter. Imagine this woman who's been ostracized and put aside for 12 years having Jesus, King of all kings and Lord of all lords, looking at her and calling her daughter. Imagine what that does for this woman. Love Jesus' compassion here. He didn't have time to do this, but he did it. Listen, Jesus' mission was not interrupted. This woman was part of Jesus' mission. You, you are not a nuisance to Jesus. You are not too dirty, too unclean, too shameful for Jesus. You're not an interruption to His mission. He doesn't have more important things to do. Jesus wants to know you and wants you to be known by Him. We need to remember this too as as a church body, the example that Jesus is for us in this. We need to think of how many people in our life do we just kind of ignore. We see them as an interruption 
rather than an opportunity. Things that come up there were kind of like, well, or people, you know, that we just kind of, just not sure that we know how to relate to them as we kind of push them off to the side. You can learn something from Jesus here. But even in Jesus' compassion, he's still powerful. I love that. How we see both the, the tenderness and the compassion of Jesus. We saw at the end of chapter 4, Jesus' power over nature as he calmed the storm on the sea. We see at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus' power over evil as he casts this legion of demons into a herd of pigs. And now here, we see Jesus' great power over sickness. Maybe some of you can relate to this even more. You haven't been in a great natural disaster. You haven't been in a great storm. You haven't maybe had evil spirits dwelling in you, but you can relate to this. You've been sick. And you wonder, does Jesus have power over my sickness? Indeed, He does. We see that here. Part of the goal of this series is that we would know Jesus' true identity. And I hope that, that we learn more again. And, and, and you'll notice that a lot of things just keep getting repeated. Jesus has great power, and he's very tender and compassionate. This woman couldn't attain what she needed from anywhere else. She had spent all she had on many physicians over many years. None could give her what she needed. And what she needed was not just a healing from Jesus, but she needed Jesus himself. What about you this morning? You know that you need Jesus himself. You don't just need some things. I know you know that you're needy. Nobody comes really ever thinking that like you've got it all together. We all know that we don't. But do you come before God this morning, recognizing him in all of his holiness and greatness and splendor and majesty and glory, and then looking at yourself and seeing how far short you fall, that you are weak, you are troubled, you are a sinner. You have broken the law of the lawmaker. But if you would today repent of your sin and come to Him in faith, just a simple faith like this woman had, coming before Him, telling Him the whole truth, saying, Jesus, I am a mess, and my only hope is in You, in Your life, in Your death, in Your resurrection. I want You to be my Savior. I want You to be my Lord. If you would come and do that, then you too can be saved, and you too can know Jesus personally be known by him you might ask well, what about the important man with the dying daughter we'll get to that come back next week uh, if you want to read ahead you can do that you can read the bible on your own go ahead and find out what happens 